Well, good evening. Welcome back. Good to see you here tonight. Welcome, welcome. Good to have you here on a Sunday night. I got a good nap this afternoon. Looks like my laptop got a good nap this afternoon. Projector's going to wake up any minute now, and we should be in good shape. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in uh, our basic doctrinal studies notebook. And uh, I do want to cover the third circle tonight that we didn't quite get to uh, last week. That's curious. Keep it real. There we go. All right. Let's open the word of prayer, asking the Father to set aside distractions and to bless our time in his word tonight. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blessings of being your children, including the blessings that we have to come before your throne of grace, the blessings that we have to study, to show ourselves approved. Father, I thank you for every realm of doctrine, from the basics to the deepest and everything in between, Father. You've made it available for each one of us. I thank you for the blessings that we have as a local assembly to be able to go into these things together. And Father, I just thank you again for being so faithful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, this is our basics hour. I'm going to resist uh, jumping ahead to next hour, Um, although there will be some overlap, and I find it interesting. that um, we are resuming our uh, ministry workshop. It's been uh, some time. In fact, I don't think we've had a PMW since February, so we've had quite a, quite a time off. But it's September, and school's back in session, and we're um, praying to see what the Lord's going to have for us uh, moving forward in our, in our ministry training, and I'll, I'll have more to say about that next hour. But it's neat to see how much this hour in basics feeds right into that feeds right into where the students are, those that are preparing to be pastors or missionaries or evangelists or, or whatever the gifts, ministries, and effects that they're going to pursue. Um, it's, I think we, uh, we get in trouble when we start to classify things in terms of, well, um, this, is, this is for uh, everybody and this is for only those in ministry. Every realm of doctrine is available for everybody. And I want to stress that. I absolutely want to stress that. Because every single one of us has the, the same Holy Spirit that the pastor has that everybody else has. And, uh, and so we're going to see that with respect to the three circles uh, that we dealt with last week. So here we are in parapatology, and the last aspect we need to get to is this third circle. And if you remember the diagram from last week, we, we dealt with that, and I drew it out for you. We can bring it back up again. In fact, I think I still have it from a week ago. There it is. Neat thing is, is everything I draw gets saved forever, in, uh, or as forever as Microsoft can make it, in my uh, OneNote notebook. And so we have the cross and the three circles, all right? And as we've drawn it out uh, many times, this is this top circle here is this first one that you come to, all right? Because the, the moment you're saved, you're placed in this relationship, and it's a relationship that never ends. It's a relationship that's eternal. You are born again. And with that birth, as you are born from above, with that birth, you are a son or a daughter. You are a child of God. And that is an eternal inheritance. And you never lose that. This is uh, the blessings. By believing in Jesus Christ, you are then placed in Christ. And that positional truth of in Christo is so beautiful. And it's so powerful when you study the scriptures and you see everything that comes into being in Christ, in Christo. 
we then also begin our fellowship. And uh, the fellowship begins the day we're saved. Uh, You can't have any fellowship until you're saved. But fellowship, although it begins there, is very quickly lost. It's going to be lost. And every time you go carnal, every time you lose fellowship with with the Father, with His Son, you're in this state of what we call carnality. And unless you're... um, there's only one pastor I'm aware of that comes right out and says there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Uh, Other than him and his followers, uh, I believe that there is such a thing as a carnal Christian, and I'd be glad to introduce you to any number of them, or just introduce you to myself when uh, when those moments come, all right? Or introduce you to yourself when those moments come. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 makes it very clear that they were carnal. And Paul says, I cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. And that's the difference there. It's not the natural man from chapter 2, it's the carnal man in chapter 3. And so we're very clear on this. And, and to me, the, the, one of the simplest things to ever define this was Lewis Barry Chafer in his book uh, on, on true spirituality, all right? And, and, or I'm sorry, he that is spiritual, he that is spiritual, okay? Get that confused with true evangelism on occasion. They're both excellent books by Lewis Barry Schaefer that go back to the early 20th century. And it talks about being in fellowship and out of fellowship, how every personal sin you commit puts you out here in carnality, where you are being controlled by the flesh. All right, but when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we are placed back into this relationship or to this fellowship again. All right, and so ideally, we want to constantly maintain top circle, bottom circle as much as possible. Again, you can never get out of top circle, but you want to stay in here as much as possible. Then beyond that, what's the step beyond that? All right, I used to think that well. The whole purpose of the Christian way of life is just to stay in fellowship as much as possible. I'm going to log as many hours as I can in fellowship and and keep it to a minimum out of fellowship. Well, it's beyond that because then we get to this third circle and we get to the leadership, all right? Uh, With relationship, you believe. With fellowship, you confess. For the Father's leadership, we ask. And the operative verb is ask. You go to the Father and you ask. And this is where our prayer life is engaged. In fact, until you have a relationship and until you're in fellowship, you can have no prayer life whatsoever. The effective, fervent, effectual prayer life comes by those that are in relationship, those that are in fellowship, that that then enter into that prayer circle, that enter into that secret place that is uh, under his wing, as it were. Psalms describes it in different ways. The Bible describes it in different ways. But this is our intimacy with the Father, where we go to him for leadership in the Christian way of life. So this last aspect of parapetology will be covered on a basic level, but really needs to be studied on an intermediate and advanced basis. And then we come back and we develop more uh, intricate aspects of our prayer life. Some of the hard prayers, some of the prayers that we don't want to pray, but we know we have to pray because it's the will of the Father. We come to the advanced stages of not my will but thine be done, where our Savior was in Gethsemane. And we start to issue the prayers that we wouldn't, that we were not prepared to issue when we were younger. When we, uh, in fact, when we have to deliver folks over, when we give them into the hands of God and, and many advanced aspects of prayer that, uh, that we come back to in, in more advanced classes. Our relationship comes from the top circle in Christ. Our fellowship comes from the bottom circle through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Then finally, our leadership comes in the third circle by way of face-to-face prayer life with God the Father. That's that face-to-face relationship that we have with Him. Unbelievers, of course, do not enjoy access to the Father in prayer, but we do. John 14, 6, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And let me go ahead, I'm going to exit this, and I'm going to reopen it so it's side by side in the same window. 
And I'll go ahead and turn off the Greek while I'm at it. All right. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the exclusive provision that we come to him, obviously soteriologically, we come to him in salvation, but that's not the last time we come to the Father. That's the very first time we come to the Father. And we should keep coming to the Father day after day as long as it's called today. We are constantly coming to the Father, but we do so through Christ. And we saw that also this morning in the priesthood, that we through him then continuously offer up a sacrifice that is the fruit of lips that give praise to his name and uh, aspects there that we saw in the Galatians class. Carnal believers also have their prayer privileges suspended until such time as they are restored to fellowship. So that's, that's critical too. You know, an unbeliever has no prayer life. The father doesn't hear him, but then he doesn't hear us either. When we are carnal, all right? Now, that doesn't mean we lose our salvation. We're real clear on that. Relax. But I, I like to think of it as suspended privileges when, when the prayer life is, is presently on hold because of our carnality. And uh, some of the most uh, blunt expressions of this, Psalm sixty six eighteen: if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And uh, I think last week we discussed the nature of prolonged carnality. When we get convicted and we know we should confess, but we choose not to. We actually defer our, our confession. We decide to push it off a little bit. And that's, that's, that's hardening of the heart right there. You're not listening to that confession. You're not listening to that conviction when the Holy Spirit is prompting you and goading you and saying, you know, you're carnal. You've got to get out of that. You're carnal. Get back in fellowship. So uh, that regarding of wickedness in our heart when we prolong the carnality, that's a bad thing. And in those circumstances, our prayer life then gets suspended. The Lord will not hear. Notice it doesn't say He cannot hear. It says He will not hear. And uh, yeah, it's pretty blunt at that point. All right, Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 15. Um, the Lord does some name calling, right? He calls them Sodom. He calls them Gomorrah. He's talking to Jerusalem, but He calls them by Sodom and Gomorrah, and that gets their attention. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay? Name-calling is an attention-getter, and it speaks volumes. You know, if, I, if, uh, if I call you a Benedict Arnold, uh, that, that, that tells you something right there. I call you a Judas, or I, I call you something to your face. Well, that name conveys something based upon what's associated with it uh, as a name becomes a byword, as it becomes a, a pejorative. And uh, this is the aspect here. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of ram, uh, rams and the fat of fed cattle. Well, what's wrong with sacrifices? Didn't he command to offer these sacrifices? Yes, he did. But to give them in carnality has no value. To put on a religious show when you're as, as dark as it could get, there's no point in doing that. He sees through that hypocrisy. I take no pleasure... In the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? <laughs> you know? Every time I read that, I think of my mother and, and you know, who told you to trample, drag all this mud through my kitchen? <laughs> you know? Get back outside, clean your shoes off. You know, and here, here, here's Israel trampling his courts because they're so defiled. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. It's supposed to be a sweet-smelling savor, but it stinks. He can't stand the smell of it. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. 
And there the language is actually the language of cannot, which I find interesting. Idiomatic, of course, with an omniscient, an omnipotent God. But consider what he can do, what he cannot do, and, and this aspect of sin. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. The only thing he's waiting to listen for is confession. Anything else other than confession, he doesn't want to hear. He's not listening to it. He goes on to say, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. See, the issue is cleansing. And he's made the the cleansing procedure available. Absolutely he's made it available. I think time and time again, when, when he comes to folks in the Scriptures, he's looking for that confession opportunity. He goes to Adam and he says, where are you, Adam? And he, he knows where he is, but he's looking for the confession opportunity. Who told you you were naked? He's, he's driving these questions out there, waiting for the confession. Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat? He's waiting for that confession. And oftentimes he doesn't get it. <laughs> oftentimes what he gets is excuse making, right? He even goes to Cain. He goes to an unbeliever. Where's your brother? He's looking for that confession. All right. Get our prayer privileges suspended. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. God doesn't need a hearing aid. It's not an issue that he's he's gotten hard of hearing. It's that he's closed his ears because of our carnality. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Remember, separation is, is the principle behind every form of death. We call this operational death when you're in carnality. You're still spiritually alive, but operationally you're dead because there's this separation that's in place there. And so you have an operational death because of your carnality. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity. And so with that defilement, you need the cleansing. And again, When we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is so straightforward in this regard. Finally, Zechariah 7.13. And just as He called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. And the shoe's on the other foot in this circumstance because of, again, because of carnality. So when your prayer privilege is revoked, Understand that when your prayer privilege is revoked, it's because you, you no longer have access to that third circle. The reason why is because you've actually departed from that bottom circle, all right? That uh, you no longer have access to the, to the prayer uh, intimacy with the Father because you've lost fellowship through the Holy Spirit. That's the mechanism. That's, that, that's what equips us to be able to have that fellowship with the Father and with His Son. So, Believers in fellowship, that is top circle and bottom circle now, we have confident access to the throne of grace, 24-7, 365. You don't have to wait for a particular holy day. You don't have to wait until the day of atonement or or a feast or some other. It's all day, every day, right? We Our Sabbath, what is our Sabbath rest? Day after day, as long as it's called today. What a privilege. Hebrews 4, 16, which you are probably familiar with. Um, maybe we're more familiar with verse 12. I don't know. But um, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And guess what? The more often we do this, what do we find out? 
the more frequently we do this, we find out that it's always a time of need, <laughs> right? When is it not a time of need? Uh, that receiving mercy and finding grace to help, you know, I think the, the biggest issue is it's pride that steps in and says, well, I don't need that right now. I've got a handle on things. And when you think you're in not in a time of need, you're in a bigger time of need than you realize. It's always a time of need. The church age is a time of need. We're in the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. Satan is the god of this age, right? This present evil age. That's what, you know, we're, we're dealing with a time of need. It's called life here in the church age. And so let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this prayer life, I tell you, we, we want to develop it on a basic level, on an intermediate level, on an advanced level. We've got aspects in prayer whereby you can, you can learn by listening to other prayers. You can learn through model prayers. You can go to the so-called Lord's Prayer and you can see there's a pattern there. and you can, you can imitate certain patterns, but I tell you, when you get into the deeper aspects and you're just pouring your heart out before the Lord, that's, the, that's uh, what we're headed to. All right. Uh, even Sermon on the Mount illustrates that, Matthew 6. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. And so you've got a pattern there to follow. There's principles you can glean from that. Um, but again, don't feel like you have to follow the rote prayer. That's, that's on the basic level related to those things. All right. Still, I think there's a spiffy uh, outline here. I'm actually quite pleased with this. I should teach this more often. Paternity, praise, plan, purpose, province, provision, pardon, priorities, protection. You know, anything, anything with the Father is going to be paterological, right? It's the pater is the Father. So when you get into the, the paterological principles of prayer, uh, having this whole string of Ps is, is useful, all right? Paternity is, is, is amazing. You go to Him in prayer because He's your Father, and, and you have every right to be there. You're, you're born into His family. And, 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 and the more intimate we get with Him, I think the immature prayers are the ones where you kind of, you're gauging what you're asking for based on how, how good you think you've been lately. <laughs> right? And you think, yeah, I, I've scored some brownie points. I've been all right lately. I can, I can ask Him for this. I can ask Him for that. And it's like, you know, you're going to, going to your earthly father asking Him for 20 bucks or something. And uh, then figuring, well, that might be a little tight for him this month. He, he probably can't really afford that this month. Or I've been kind of not the greatest son lately, so maybe I'll only ask him for 10 bucks. Maybe, uh, you know. But, you know, when your dad's Bill Gates and you want, you know, quit asking him for 20 bucks. Ask him for, you know, a million or something. Ask him for, you know, understand the capacity your father has. And, and quit feeling like he's going to gauge what he's going to give you based on what a good boy you've been lately or what a good girl you've been lately. Okay? Because the answers to prayer don't come based on what we've earned and deserved. The answers to our prayer come according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you talk about an infinite grace supply. Man, there, uh, there you have it. So paternity is huge. Absolutely huge. Praise. You know, in our prayer life, is, it shouldn't be just the gimme, gimme, gimme prayers all day, every day. We ought to, in fact, we should have whole seasons of prayer that are nothing but praise and reflection and fellowship. And, uh, you know, you can get a whole, uh, you know, you, you realize, man, I've been praying for three hours, now I haven't even asked him for anything yet. I'm, I'm just praising him for, for what he's doing. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. All right, we recognize the Father's got a plan. I'm a part of that plan. And, and my prayer life ought to be engaged in that plan. 
purpose, your will be done. That's next week, or, or if we have time tonight, we'll get into thelematology on the will of God. How do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God particularly for my life right here, right now, in this moment? So he's got a purpose. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose. On earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's interesting too. I labeled it province, and that was maybe a little bit of a stretch trying to keep it as a P. But uh, the the jurisdiction, the the scope of how the Father operates, the province, uh, and so there's a heavenly will, there's the will on earth. I think also we want to recognize the Father's province within the boundaries of our local church, the Father's province with respect to beyond uh, this jurisdiction. So in other words, I'm more relaxed about the unbeliever and the unbelieving world and what he's doing. And I'm not all worked up in any kind of a legalism. If, if, if the unbeliever's doing what unbelievers do, what do you expect? And I'm going to be more relaxed depending on the province or the scope of what I'm praying for. Hopefully that makes sense. The provision, give us this day our daily bread in, in all aspects, food, money, everything. It's all his grace supply. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. There's pardon. Lead us not into temptation. We have the priorities. We're going to follow where he's leading. And deliver us from evil. Obviously, we need the daily protection. So believers that are operating in the sphere of patriological prayer privilege, we have the greatest peace imaginable. And, and this too, I think, sometimes in Philippians, believers get mad and they think that God failed in his promise. They, they, they get mad, they start blaming him because Scripture didn't work, right? Or prayer doesn't work. Well, wait a minute. Don't tell me it doesn't work. I know it does. Well, what seems to be the issue here? Where's the breakdown happening? And they say, well, I just don't have any peace. Well, all right. But the, the consequences, peace is given not as an unconditional covenant no matter what. It's given very clearly with stipulations as a conditional consequence for us obeying what, what proceeds there, see. And, and um, you know, I think it goes all the way back there to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If you have not been rejoicing lately, well... Why is the rest of the process breaking down? Start with that. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. What are the applications there? Be anxious for nothing. Okay. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I know you've been praying about it, but how have you been praying about it? And if you've been praying while still anxious, and you continue to be anxious even after you prayed about it, I would ask what kind of prayers you've been offering up anyway. Maybe you're giving those shady prayers I was talking about earlier where you're kind of skeptical that God's going to even hear you in the first place or that he knows what's going on or that he can do anything about it. You know, Lord, i got this big problem. And and the thing is, is my God is too small, my problem is too big, and my prayer life is is pathetic as a consequence. If you're asking without faith, if you're asking and you still doubt don't expect that you're going to hear anything. You know, if, if carnality puts a barrier between you and God, so does uh, uh, skepticism, <laughs> all right? Which I think is another form of carnality. I think um, it's just a reflection of your anxiousness, of your doubt, of your lack of faith. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request. How many words for prayer? There's four prayer words right there. Prayer and supplication, thanksgiving and requests. And um, do, we, do we offer the thanksgiving even before we see the answer? We're supposed to. We're supposed to offer the thanksgiving with the request. 
Say, Father, thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for answering, not based on what I've asked for, but according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus, because maybe I've asked for the wrong thing. And so, Father, if I'm asking for the wrong thing, thank you for not giving me that request. Thank you for giving me what I need instead of what I want. Thank you for giving me what your plan calls for instead of what my plan is calling for. Feel free to overrule and thank him in those prayers. The biggest aspects, the, the, the most mature prayers we have are the prayers where we're saying, not our will but thine be done. And especially if, we, if we're honest about what, we, uh, what we're, we're, we truly want to be his will. All right. Any questions on that? Is that making sense? Because I think all too often we... Here's the thing. If you've been in church for any length of time, you learn the vocabulary. You learn the expressions. And you start to adopt those terms. And you can come to a prayer meeting and you can say... Uh, you know, dear Heavenly Father, uh, you know, this, that, whatever. And then, and then you get to what you're asking for and you say, and Father, if it could be your will, and then you, you finish that sentence, right? But the problem is, is we, we've, we've developed this rote, if it could be your will, and we don't truly mean it. Because are we willing to accept, can we, can we say the flip side of that, and Father, it may not be your will. Prepare me to accept what's better when you make known to me that this is not your will. Okay? And uh, because I know, Father, that you're going to keep me from making a mistake. I know, Father, that you're going to overrule. Now, Father, if this is not your will, it's the, it, I don't want it. It's the last thing. I don't want it. Okay? And, and once you start getting into those realms, and with thanksgiving, see, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm going to thank you, Father, if you're, if you're giving me what I'm asking for or you're giving me not what I if, when the answer is no. All right? And the best illustration for that that I can find, I go to the Scriptures and I find David and his desire to build a temple. And the Lord says, no, don't build the temple. Your son's going to build the temple. And what does David do? He falls on his face and he worships. He says, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house? And, and he praises God. Even though he was just told no, Right? He's just told no, and he praises God, and I love that. And, and I love how he's humble. I love how he accepts it. He, uh, he then says, all right, if I can't build it, I can pay for it, right? <laughs> and he starts saving. He starts accumulating. He makes a treaty with Hiram. He gets a deal you know, for the lumber. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's stockpiling the building materials and the treasure. He is just as excited as can be for something he doesn't get to do. And you talk about maturity. Because all too often the human tendency is what? The carnal tendency is to take our toys and go home. Is to pout. Is to say, well, fine. I'll show you. You know, how dare you? You know, I, I, I was going to do this for you, Lord. And, 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 and you say, no, you won't let me? Well, you know, and we get our feelings hurt and we get offended. We take it personally. We get, because see, we're so full of ourselves, we say, well, how dare he? Who does he think he is? <laughs> right? I'm going to do this, and he says no? Well then, if uh, fine, I'll show you. If I can't do that, well then I'm just not going to do anything. How about that? Okay? And what am I doing? I'm, I'm like a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. And uh, I'm going to take my toys and go home. Because God says no. No, when God says no, thank him for saying no. Because you don't realize what a, what a nightmare you were about to get into. God is so gracious to get you out of that, to keep that from happening. And that's the, uh, I don't know, the, 
Garth Brooks even wrote his song about unanswered prayer. It's a country western song, right? And it's, it's a mislabeled thing because it's not an unanswered prayer. The answer was no. But he goes back to a high school reunion and he sees a girl that he really was in love with and whatever, whatever. But he's so thankful now because he's there with his wife, right? And it's called Unanswered Prayer. And Garth, as he sings it, is, is happy that God kept him from marrying that girl who would have, was wrong for him and, and brought him his wife, you know? And you're just delighted because God knows better than we do. And he calls it Unanswered Prayer. But it's really answered. The answer is no, because I know better than you do. And here's, here's the better provision. All right, so if we are following all these steps, and I believe that begins with a rejoicing, that begins with a constant rejoicing. Um, you know, our prayer life is, ought to be engaged all day, every day. It ought to be, uh, we don't want to just have no prayer life of any sort and, and try to ramp up something and get it into gear when, when, when our life's a wreck. You know, too many people just develop a prayer life when they've got problems instead of having a, a, a prayer life all the time. Rejoice always. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. That, that gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, right? And, uh, and, and when you are engaged in a daily fellowship with the Father and with the Son and you're engaged in prayer, uh, that's what's going to produce that, that gentleness. Everyone's going to know it. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. That's the ask imperative. That's why ask is the operating verb of the third circle. Believe, confess, ask are our three operational verbs. And so there it is. All right. We're given the greatest peace imaginable. We're not left to fend for ourselves. Uh, We don't resort to the world, the flesh, or the devil for any kind of alternative supply. Yeah, there's a phony out there. Satan is the counterfeit father, and he would just love to provide for, for, he provides for his children all the time, and he would love nothing more than to provide for us as well. And uh, part of his attack against God the Father. We want no part of that. All right, so that's the last part of peripatology we didn't get to last week. And gets us ready now for thelematology, for the will of God. This comes from thelema, the Greek word thelema, which means will. It's the Father's will, His desire, His volition. All right? And anytime you study the will of God, you're studying uh, aspects of decision making, aspects of choosing or desiring or wanting. All right? Because the Father has desires. We have desires. And the problem is, is obviously when ours are at odds with his, <laughs> when we, uh, we want something that he doesn't want for us. Okay? We want to keep our will in his will at all times. And so how do we learn this? How do we learn the will of God? It's a study on the will of God, how believers may know and obey the will of God for their life. And I love this study. Um, I didn't realize when I first put this study together, what I've learned since then, is this is actually something that is under attack right now. That there are churches and books being written, there are churches where pulpits are, are teaching um, things that are so contrary to my conviction of Scripture, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's scary to me. And, and I find it sad in, uh, in these things. Um, to the point where uh, people will dispute that God has a specific will for your life, for anybody's life. It is such a, a thing about as long as you're not sinning, you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, you're, as long as you, know, uh, you, can, you can take live whatever town you want to live in, take whatever job you want to take, marry whoever you want to marry, I mean, as long as they're not an unbeliever. Um, it's funny how they put caveats on it, even while they're saying, do whatever you want to do. 
and that uh, you know, and, and to me, it sounds like a total "every man does what's right in his own eyes" kind of a thing, and, and it means um, they have kind of a broad thing. Well, as long as you're advancing the kingdom, just do whatever you want to do. And they say, you know, we live in this age of, of do whatever you want to do, and, and I don't see that in the scriptures. I get very convicted of certain scriptures. I'm going I'm to emphasize those here tonight. <clears throat> Anybody here encounter what I'm talking about? Have you read those books? Have you listened to those pastors? Have you spoken to those people? Good for you. All right, you're very sheltered. You have. Okay, yeah, I know I have. Um, and and it surprised me actually in some of the places that I've encountered it. I've, I've encountered it from authors that I thought should have known better, and then I've been disappointed in that. All right. Um, so the study on philematology, the will of God. God does have a good, acceptable, and perfect will for every area of our lives. You know, if we're supposed to be conformed or transformed, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may dokimadza what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So there is a will. But the will of God is more precise. We can't just generalize it and say, well, you know, as long as I'm saved, I can do whatever. No, there's, it's, there's a lot more detail than that. And there's a day-by-day detail, a moment-by-moment detail when we stop to listen. All right? When we stop to listen. It is our blessing to learn what that will is and to submit to it. All right? And, and we get the overall will of God in, in big pictures through the Scriptures. But then we get particular applications that come to us as we are led by the Spirit. All right? And and this makes some folks uncomfortable. I'm going to be cautious with it. I'll take questions and we can talk our way through it. All right? Um, there are there are folks that, that don't... Um, they get very uh, cautious with respect to this because it starts to approach a mysticism approach or it starts to approach, uh, I don't know, maybe something charismatic or whatever. Uh, we, we don't want to get spectacular with it or or weird because i think it gets abused sometimes when christians say oh well god spoke to me or well he laid it on my heart does that mean you're you're hearing voices okay yet uh when you are being led by the spirit you know you absolutely know i can't point to a verse of the bible there's no third timothy or fourth timothy there's no verse of the bible that told me back in 1991 that sharon schneider was going to be my wife 1990 no 1991 what was it oh i met her in 90 we got married in 91 all right so in both both years right I, i proposed in 90 and then desert storm came up and i went overseas for six months um, but I couldn't point to a verse. I couldn't point to a verse that said, Sharon Schneider is my right woman, that she is designed, uh, that, that God assigned her to me. Okay? And there are Christians that would tell me, if they were here tonight, that, uh, that God did not assign her to me, that there is no will of God in, in terms of marriage. There's no right man, right woman. There's no, uh, you could marry any woman and use the principles of wisdom to conduct a godly marriage and to uh, learn to love her. And, 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 you know, some people have arranged marriages and don't even meet their wife until their wedding day. And, 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 and I get all of that. I absolutely get all of that. However, 
when the verses we're going to see tonight pertaining to divine guidance, pertaining to how do I know the will of God, and the way that God opens doors, and the way that God places before you what His will is, you can identify it, and you're expected to identify it. Hebrews, uh, Ephesians says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And to me, that's huge. That's powerful. That's, that's God calling names again, saying, if you don't know the will of God, you're a fool. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? And do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The biggest part of divine guidance, of course, is staying in that bottom circle, <laughs> is staying in fellowship, is, being, is not grieving, quenching, or resisting the Spirit, but being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, in, in fellowship with the Father and Son and asking. All right? Going to Him in prayer and asking. So, we'll try to keep this as simple as we can, but I think there's far more uh, deeper developments we can go into and have to go into in our, in our PMWR that we go into in the ministry training. Uh, I mean, there's aspects of the divine guidance right now that Dan and Stephanie are going through as, as he's candidating in Corpus Christi. Is he's considering a flock, and, and that flock is considering him. You think there's a will of God issue there? <laughs> I think so. Jesus Christ is head of the church. He holds the stars in, in his right hand. He walks in the midst of every lampstand. I'm thankful that that pulpit committee is taking matters as slowly as they are and, and having such fear and reverence as they have and that they are seeking his will in this decision. All right. In temporal life, God designed volition. Sometimes it's called individuality. It's the first of the laws of divine establishment. Volition, marriage, family, and nations. Those are the four um, categories of, of divine establishment. And they apply in, in every facet of, of temporal life. In fact, unbelievers can apply these principles and be blessed. You know, unbelievers, marriage is not just for two believers. If, if two unbelievers follow the principles of, of, of marriage under the laws of divine establishment, they have integrity towards each other. They're faithful to each other. They can have a blessed temporal marriage as unbelievers. You can have a blessed experience child raising as unbelievers if you follow the biblical principles. All right, in spiritual life, so God has a will for each individual, each marriage, each family, each nation, and we need to seek that will. Likewise, in spiritual life, for this dispensation, God has a good, acceptable, and perfect will for individuals and for local churches. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, the thing is, this freedom and this liberty and this I can do whatever I want to do thing, well, when you start getting into the realms of the permissive will of God, okay, we've got liberty. He permits a lot of things, but do I want to really be in the permissive will of God when I could be in the directive will of God doing what he is directing me to do? Isn't that much better? We'll discuss that as well. Also, I prefer to distinguish between permissive will and discretionary will. And, uh, and, and I think I invented that term, and so um, that will be useful for us as well, the discretionary will of God. All right. Most believers put the cart before the horse when it comes to God's will. We want to know God's particular will concerning a specific circumstance or event. And uh, they try to turn the Bible into, uh, into uh, some kind of a divining rod or some kind of a Ouija board or some kind of a magical uh, eight ball where you shake it up and you look down in the thing. Um, that's not, the Bible doesn't work like that. And we're not going to use the Bible like that. And we don't have Urim and Thummim. We're not drawing lots. Okay, well, That's an interesting Old Testament practice. Um, 
we actually in the in the with a completed canon of scripture in the mind of Christ uh, the idea of drawing lots for a divine guidance process is is sad. We should be so far beyond the drawing of lots because that, as I say, is an Old Testament aspect. We want to so instead of the particular aspect, let's start with the overall uh, uh, principles, such as rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. All right, you want to know the will of God? Start there. Start with rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Start with a walk with with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on a consistent basis. Start there. All right, because believers that have walks like that are much more sensitive and aware and in tune with the leading of the Holy Spirit and the the leadership of the Lord and and the direction of the Father. So we need to learn those general truths first as a first priority. Once those principles are mastered, then particular and specific aspects of the will of God are going to follow right along. You know, honestly, I mean, if, you're, if your walk is such a wreck that you can't even maintain a basic uh, Christian walk before the Lord, um, you've got no business getting married. Why, why are you asking about the will of God for who my spouse is supposed to be or what job I'm supposed to take or, or what town I'm supposed to move to or some of these more specific things? Let's get the first things first, okay? We want to be stable as individuals walking with the Lord and then we can start making these more particular applications. So uh, Ephesians five seventeen again, not knowing the will of God is foolishness and uh, not being under the influence of the Holy Spirit is foolishness, which is the next verse. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That means you've surrendered your faculties to something that's not taking you where you need to be. <laughs> and uh, you're just opening yourself up to the influence of something that's, that's destructive. That's what drunkenness is all about. But be drunk with, be filled with the Spirit. Be so filled with the Spirit that it affects how you look at things, how you think, the things you say, all right? And, and um, you know, we, we all know what drunkenness is because we've, we've seen movies. We've, we've read books. We've, we've, we've had friends, okay? And we know, based on those movies we've seen, that, that when people are drunk, they look at things in ways they don't look at when they're sober. They think things they don't think when they're sober. They have attitudes they don't have when they're sober, um, they get ideas, they say things they wouldn't say if they were sober. Um, they make choices they wouldn't make if they were sober. And every one of those illustrations, put it now in the hands of the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will have a perspective that you wouldn't have when you're carnal. You're going to see things you don't see when you're carnal. You're going to say things you wouldn't say when you're carnal. And so it's going to, it's going to so affect, it's, it's like the, you know, the, the drunkenness of the Spirit. And it's not, it's not a mystical thing, it's not a charismatic Pentecostal thing. But you know, that, I mean, there are moments, and, it's just, and, and you know that the Holy Spirit gave you that. You're face-to-face with somebody and something's going on, they got a question and, and a verse comes to your mind, and you haven't thought of that verse in 20 years. Man, when's the last time I thought about whatever? But man, at that moment, right then, right there, the Holy Spirit gave it to you. It came to your mind, it came to your remembrance, it came across your lips, and there it was. 
And it was exactly what they needed to hear. They thanked you for it. It was just a powerful moment. It was a, it was a definite, you know, God thing, we say. Uh, that's, that's the leading of the Spirit. And I, and I want us to be, I want us to be okay with all of that, all right? Because I think there's, there's a, there's a, there's a hyper academic tradition that would not be comfortable with, with the last two minutes of my discussion tonight. They would view that as emotionalism or, or, or uh, mysticism or, or something that, that's not quite categorical. All right. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In the context of that passage, we can conclude that God's will is knowable and it's understandable. Do not throw your hands up in despair and fall back on the, oh, well, Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> oh. Don't fall into a fatalism to say, well, God will do what he wants to do. They become a, a hyper-Calvinist and say, well, sovereignty controls everything, so it doesn't matter what I choose. No. Yes, his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts, but within the capacity of how we think and what we do, God expects us to pursue his will. They are knowable and within the limitations of what we can know, and we're accountable for how we live. All right, so the general truths of the will of God are like a soldier's general orders. I spent four years in the army, and in the army you have general orders. They're always true, all the time, every time, no matter what. You'll also have special orders as well, but the general orders are as follows. I will guard everything within the limits of my post and quit my post only when properly relieved. You know how many thousands of times I had to recite this to drill sergeants or sergeants or whatever. I will obey my special orders and perform all my duties in a military manner. I will report violations of my special orders, emergencies, and anything not covered in my instructions to the commander of the relief. And these are the three general uh, orders that every soldier abides under. Every soldier in the army, from buck private up to five-star general, these these are are binding upon all uh, army personnel. And, And you learn these, they're drilled into you. And so you think about these as general orders, and then you get specific orders depending on where you're assigned and what's going on. Well, in my mind, 1 Thessalonians 5, those are our general orders. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this singular, right? This singular. How can this be singular when they just listed three things? I thought I had a link here. There it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. That seems like three things. But it says this, singular, is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And I believe it takes all three of them and puts it into a, into a package to define our general orders in the church age. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on with some do nots. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. All right, so we got these principles for the Christian walk, and they apply all, the, all day, every day. They apply at all times uh, in the Christian walk. So we can think of these as our general orders. Um, think of them as top circle general orders for all believers in Christ. And then sanctification. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Hey, you want to know the will of God? How about here? This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, bottom circle fellowship. All right? So we want to be saved, we want to be in fellowship. And then we have third circle general orders. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we have that third circle engaged in our prayer life and we've got to be in the will of God. 
Don't, you know, when, you, when you're praying for something, do you deliberately pray for something you know is not in the will of God? How dare you? What, what do you think that's going to accomplish? When you know it's not in the will of God. Why, why wave and pray, pray such a prayer? You know? I had an inmate that would always pray. Um, I used to work in the jail, and, and for eight years I, I got to know a lot of criminals, a lot of inmates. And, and um, this fella uh, who had an interesting Bible name, but I won't say it. He's, I think he's still alive. Um, but he was a, he was a burglar. He would break into houses and steal, and, and he was supporting a drug habit and some different things. But he, he told me, he said, every time he broke into a house, he always said a prayer. He always prayed because he didn't want to get killed inside the house. And so he, he didn't want the people to be home or to shoot him or whatever. So he always said a prayer before he broke into a house. And he asked me one time, he said, do you think those prayers, do you think, do you think God hears those prayers? <laughs> I said, well, you haven't been killed yet, have you? No, you know, um, no, God doesn't hear your carnal prayers. You've got to be in fellowship. You've got to be praying according to the will of God. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. All right. Now, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Why did we ask for what we asked for? Why is that even a motivation in our heart? Why is it, why is it there? Because he's put it there. Because we're in fellowship with him. We're walking with him. All right. So that's where we start with. And until that's all engaged, uh, trying to you know, search the scriptures and try to find a specific answer for a specific thing, um, I think that puts the, the cart out there in front of the horse. No, we need to have everything in its, in its proper order. All right. Then, for learning the will of God on specific things. Well, are we in the Word of God? You know, uh, before, uh, that verse 1 comes before verse 2. Are we presenting ourselves before Him as a living sacrifice? Are we being transformed by the renewing of our mind? That's described as a mechanism. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're not in the Word of God, consistently, daily, it's going to be a tougher road to try to determine His will for something. It's his, it's his will for you to be in the Word of God, living in the Word. The renewing of the mind is specifically detailed in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 25, about learning Christ, putting on the new man, laying aside falsehood. We learn Christ as a part of being in His body. You ever think about that in Ephesians 4, 20? You did not learn Christ in this way? You ever consider all the impact of what that verse is talking about? You know, you, you received Christ when you got saved, but have you been learning Christ ever since? So there's receiving Christ, there's learning Christ. If you're willing to do His will, you can rely upon this teaching. And I think it's uh, significant there in john seven seventeen, if anyone is willing to do his will he will know of the teaching whether it is of god or whether i speak from myself you know when the, the word of god comes alive when you are humble before the word of god when you are willing to do his will when you are absolutely in subjection to the word of god where man if, if the bible says it i'm i have to do it I'm, I'm subject and then it speaks to you and it speaks to you in amazing ways all right, so on a basic level then, here's the will of God for your life. First of all, God desires for all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the first step to being in the will of God is, are you a believer? All right, well then, man, you're on the right path. 
All right, you're on the right path. You're saved. That's, that's step number one. Accept the offer of Jesus Christ for salvation. That's why it's called disobedience when you reject the gospel. It's, uh, uh, it's an aspect of obedience. He desires for all to be saved. Then he wants you to grow in grace and knowledge. Right? Ephesians 4.15, 1 Peter 2.2, 2, 2 Peter 3.18. He expects us to grow in grace and knowledge. If you're a believer but not a disciple, if you're not growing, you think uh, you're going to have a discernment as to the will of God? No, you've got to be growing. Start with that. Thirdly, glorify Jesus Christ with every thought, word, and deed. As a principle of divine guidance, I think this is one we forget. It's one that gets overlooked. Um, when you stop to realize that, wait a minute, God the Father is glorifying His Son both now and forever. I'm supposed to be glorifying His Son both now and forever. I'm a fellow worker with God the Father. Uh, That glory becomes a principle of divine guidance right then and there. And you ask yourself, well, gee, hmm, do I do this? Do I not do this? Is it going to bring glory to Jesus Christ? Is it not going to bring glory to Jesus Christ? Oh, well, do you have to put it that way? (laughs) Because if it's not bringing glory to Jesus Christ, why are you doing it? Okay, not saying you can't do it. Not being a legalist and saying you don't have freedom to do it. But just ask yourself, if it's bringing no glory to Jesus Christ, why am I doing it? How much of it am I going to be doing? And if I get so compelled into doing all this all the time, what is it that is keeping me from doing? If when this hobby becomes an obsession, when this when this liberty becomes a stumbling block, when I've taken it so far that it's no longer just personal enjoyment and now it's, it's not only is it a sin of omission because I'm failing to glorify Jesus Christ, but it's starting to diminish the glory for Jesus Christ because, um, because it's becoming a problem. It's becoming a, um, uh, an encumbrance. It's not a sin, but it's an encumbrance. And what are we told to do? Lay aside the encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. So I think the glory for Jesus Christ becomes a, uh, an aspect of the will of God. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If it doesn't glorify Jesus Christ, if, it's, if you can't do it to the glory of God, then uh, probably I shouldn't be doing it. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And you realize in some cases, on doubtful things, it can come down to, uh, to, to different choices. And believer A can, can eat meat sacrificed to idols to the glory of God, and believer B can not eat meat sacrificed to idols to the glory of God. And they're, they're, they're doing what they're doing for the glory of God in both cases. 2 Corinthians 10.5 we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So the glory of Jesus Christ becomes a consideration in the will of God. Uh, edify fellow believers. That's, uh, that's always the will of God. We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Edification of a fellow believer is the will of God. Roman, uh, Romans 15 to each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. You know, if, there's a, if, if you find that there's a particular activity and instead of building up your neighbor, it's really kind of selfish and it's for your own good pleasure and it actually brings harm to a brother, why are you doing that? Is that the will of God? 
1 Corinthians 10.23, all is lawful, but not all is profitable. And what defines profitability? Edification. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And so you're looking at something, and it's lawful. You can do it. You've got the liberty to do it. But it's not building up your brother. So you're, there you are in the permissive will of God, or what I call the discretionary will of God. You're free to do that, but there's no reward for it. It's, it's not, uh, you're neither the be- blessed if you do, nor the worst if you don't. It's a non-issue. So how much time uh, you want to spend in that? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Let all things be done for edification. So whether it's a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, whatever it's done. Okay? We might say, if it's a Bible class, if it's a prayer meeting, if it's a basic class, if it's a PMW workshop, if it's a Poimenike prayer meeting, if it's a church picnic, if it's a baptism service at Barton Springs, whatever you do, let all things be done for edification. Back to Ephesians 4 again. The equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. So God wants me to be saved. He wants me to be growing. He wants me to be glorifying Christ. He wants me to be edifying my brothers and my sisters. Along with that, He wants me to be operating within the flock of a local assembly. That kind of goes with number four. You know? It's amazing, folks, that... uh, they drift, they get out of church, they get out of the will of God, they get, uh, they're get they out there on their own uh, apart from a flock for months or years on end, and then they wonder why they have no discernment as to the will of God and why they seem to be so adrift in their, in their walk. Well, they're not operating as designed. They're not operating as a, a part of a flock. They're sheep without a shepherd. Ephesians uh, 5, 1 Peter 4 and, okay, we can adapt Hebrews 10.25 for that use, but I, I prefer not to. I think that uh, not neglecting the episunagoge is a different issue besides just simply don't skip church. <laughs> All right? And then prove the will of God as a living sacrifice on a daily basis. Are you living it out? Are you proving the will of God? Are you demonstrating the will of God? Are you on display before men and angels alike as someone that's living the will of God? So those, uh, that's a summary for every believer, whether you're a pastor, an evangelist, or anything, any believer. All 11 permanent gifts, every ministry, every effect. All right. I'm going to have to wrap this up so we can take a break and then come back at 7.30. Let me get, just get down through the last part of this here. Here's the steps. A five-step process, okay? Basic methods. How do I apprehend the will of God? Well, study to show yourself approved, okay? 2 Timothy 2.15. You can rule out an awful lot of things just based on Bible study, based on the overall principles, okay? You, you can study the Word of God. And you can learn uh, any number of things to, to figure out. For example, if you're a woman, you can study the Word of God and figure out that you're not a pastor-teacher, all right? You can learn the doctrine. You can learn that a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man. So you learn that doctrine, and you can start to rule out certain things as far as what the Lord would have for you in your ministries and in your effects and, and so forth. Okay? 
I can I can learn different aspects too of things that I I shouldn't be involved with just based on the scriptures. Start with that. All right. Secondly, apprehending the will of God, consulting the wisdom of elders, and we've got examples of this in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. The consultation for wisdom that comes from your elders. Exodus eighteen, Proverbs one, Acts eight, Acts eighteen. Uh, thirdly, ask. Ask the Father in prayer. All right? Ask the Father in prayer. And you'll notice, I think there's a sequence for this. You shouldn't be asking if you're not in the Word of God, if you're not studying, if you're not already engaged in this. But if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. It doesn't say if anyone lacks wisdom, just study the Bible harder, get doctrine and grow up. It doesn't, it's not what it says. It says, let him ask of God. You go to the Father in prayer, and the Father's going to answer your prayer. He's going to provide you with the wisdom you need, the wisdom to be able to apply principles on a specific application, because he gives generously without reproach. It will be given to him. You will receive the wisdom you need. The will of God is a wisdom application. I mean, that's kind of a given, isn't it? And uh, we don't want to go to the wisdom from below. We want to go to the wisdom from above. James 3.17, Proverbs 2, verses 3, for, 3 through 7. Okay, Number four, consider carefully providential circumstances and evaluate them according to biblical understanding of God's will. All right? Now, notice, this is not step one. Too many people make this step one and they ignore everything else. And they just look at their conditional circumstances and say, well, gee, look at this. You know, this can't be a coincidence. God must have put this person here in my life. I should marry them. Wait a minute. Okay. Yes, evaluate your, your providential circumstances, but evaluate on a biblical basis. Did God place that before you or did Satan place that before you? Did you place that before yourself? Evaluate your circumstances. Okay. You know, um, we'd already been praying. We'd already been seeking the will of God. We'd already been, we, we thought that the, the old building, we were outgrowing it and, and, uh, and different things. We thought, well, we're going to move. Do we need to buy a new place? Do we need to build a place? We were already seeking the will of God as a congregation. And uh, God brought us an architect. <laughs> you know, we learned uh, when, when, when Scott and Celia Grubb started attending and, and started to learn about Scott. And, well, what kind of work do you do? And he said, oh, I'm an architect. Oh. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Here's some circumstances. Here's uh, another piece of the puzzle that's being added to everything else as far as how we're praying and what we're studying. Anyway, uh, these verses, I think, are interesting in Acts 8, 2 Kings 7, 1 Samuel 24. And then finally, examine your heart motivation. And that's the fifth and final one. That's the last one, is examine your heart motivation. And sometimes that becomes the veto where we're honest with ourselves and say, Lord, no, this is, this is just a selfish desire on my part. It's not your will. And you can rule things out, see. But you can also rule things in when your heart is in tune with Him, okay? And that's a principle as well. But it's the fifth principle after you've done the other four We'll make sure that we have those things in order. All right. Any questions on that? I know I'm over time, but that's I wanted to get through that this hour. Next week will be agony. <laughs> Agonology, the struggle. All right. Thank you, Father, for tonight. Thank you for basics. 
And this is basic, Father. I mean, we can go deep, we can plunge into some realms, but somebody just saved this morning can, can glean these principles, can start to make use of them, can, can begin their walk on this basis. And, uh, and I thank you for that. I thank you for keeping it as simple as you've kept it. I give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.